All right. Some of you might remember the January 6th pipe bomb story. Yeah, a lot of people were trying to ignore it. But thanks to Revolver News and Darren Beatty, they've brought that back to the surface and they've been pretty much following it through pretty well. And so we're very thankful for that. But there's a new story out in the Daily Wire. And ultimately, this story says that the FBI uh, cut off an investigation that was pretty much was pretty much almost at the point potentially of finding the suspect who planted those bombs in front of the DNC and RNC. Ultimately, they had a, a Metro fare card and a license plate connected to somebody. And when one FBI agent wanted to go and conduct an interview, they were suddenly shut down. And it's quite strange. Now, many of you on social media were speculating as to uh, who knows who the suspect is. I know I saw a lot of you talking about FBI whistleblower Kyle Serafin. And you guys were saying that he knows who the suspect is. So instead of me just telling you about this story, I'm going to bring him in for his his own type of, of response, because ultimately that's what you guys want to know. So please welcome to the show, Kyle Serafin. He is one of my favorite FBI whistleblowers. He is also the host of the Kyle Serafin show, which is available on Rumble. And it's a great show. I highly recommend you all head over there and give him a, fi a follow. Kyle, thank you for jumping in with us. We greatly appreciate it. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for asking. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Well, so, so many people yesterday on Twitter were saying that you know who the suspect is. And so I have to ask you, Kyle, do you know who the suspect is who planted the pop pipe bombs outside the DNC and the RNC? The short answer is no, I don't know who the suspect is. What we had was a person of interest, and that's not the same thing. Uh, investigations are rarely perfect. They're rarely linear. And if anybody can put themselves back into the mindset of January 2021, it's very chaotic. We had uh, unrest at the Capitol, whether you believe that it was a patriotic demonstration or you believe it was an insurrection, which I believe it was probably neither at the end. It was somewhere in between both. Uh, what we had was a riot that took place. Some people got involved in some things that were dangerous. And then the single most terroristic act that took place was that somebody dropped one or two pipe bombs, and it might have been several somebodies, but it appeared to be one somebody. There were mm -hmm. pipe bombs that were found in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And to me, as a, as a former FBI agent, as an FBI agent at that time assigned to the Washington field office, that was a big deal. That's where I went to work every day. I had friends that were walking on those streets. And I don't want that. I don't want that in any American city. So the, the question was, could we do something? Could they scramble in an extraordinary way and try to find someone that would be willing to drop an indiscriminate device in the middle of an urban area that could kill anybody? And so those were the questions that happened. So what happened is my team, I had a surveillance team that I worked with. Um, I'd spent three years there. And we were kind of an interesting group. Generally speaking, FBI surveillance agents and people who do that job are kind of not very well thought of by the FBI. I've actually seen that on social media. Some people are, are aware of that. They're, they've kind of been wise to what it was. Uh, I actually requested to be part of that team because I wanted to be in the field doing that work. And we built an excellent team. We had some of the best FBI agents that I've ever worked with. We had multiple languages represented. We had an Arabic speaker. We had multiple Spanish speakers. We could actually conduct field interrogations. We could do surveillance in multiple languages. And we did that. And we also did over 20 uh, nationwide surveillance missions while I was there. So I'm not trying to pump up the credentials. I'm just saying that we were a competent team and given sort of normally outside the range of surveillance requests, we were able to actually accommodate a lot of things. We did arrest as well, what we called surveillance to arrest. So here's the deal. We got briefed at a, at a station in uh, Falls Church, Virginia. This was a, a fire station which I put out on social media and people can go look at it. I know where I was when I got briefed. And the question was this, how can we track down this pipe bomb or what's the situation? 
Who do we know? And what they told us was, is that there was a Metro card that was tied to the timestamp and the video of the person that we've all seen in the hoodie kind of wandering around DC. That person went into a Metro station and used a Metro card that they were able to positively ID the buyer of the card. Doesn't mean that was the user, just means that was the buyer. And then the second thing was that person exited in Northern Virginia. And when they did, the person got into a vehicle and the vehicle had a license plate that was also registered to the same person that supposedly bought this Metro card. Now, once again, I didn't confirm these with my own eyes. I didn't see the records. This is what was briefed and it made perfect sense at the time. That's a person of interest. That doesn't mean that's the person that dropped the bombs. It means that whoever was driving that car probably knew the person who bought the Metro card, right? That makes sense. And so that's a place to start. And we had an address, we had a name, and those pieces of information are now sitting with members of Congress and they have been for quite a while, but there's some renewed interest in it at the moment. So I guess that's good <laughs> that people are interested yeah. in finding out. The thing that's always been strange to me, Brianna, and I've never understood this, how did the American people sort of memory hold this story? Like I said, the single most terroristic thing that happened on, the same, on, the, on that day. And a lot of weird things happened that day. But dropping yeah. bombs, number one, seems like a big problem. And then the second thing is, how come we've never been concerned about another bomb being dropped? Why? You ever heard of a bomber that just sent off two bombs and said, that's it, now I'm moving to Argentina? <laughs> no, I haven't. And especially, this is a great point that you bring up because Kamala Harris was in the DNC at the time. And so ultimately, when we're watching the video of how relaxed everyone is when they get the tip that there's a bomb sitting right there, uh, they're all very calm, cool, and collective. And I know Dan Bongino said not to be really on, uh, like, don't be suspicious by that. That's not suspicious at all, that they usually are cool, calm, and collective. But for me, I mean, we're literally watching a group of kids walking in front of the bomb where the bomb is being placed. And those, that is, is that Secret Service or is that Capitol Police, the guy in the black? Do you know? Uh, the guy in the black has been confirmed by Thomas Massey and, and others, Steve Baker, who I've been talking to for a while, and I believe Darren mm -hmm. also knows that Darren Abedi at Revolver. They've all kind of confirmed independently that this individual who spotted the, the device was a non-uniformed Capitol Police officer. Yeah, yeah, but you see how they just let those kids walk in front where the bomb is allegedly placed and that they're mm -hmm. all cool, calm, and collective about it? I mean, would you actually allow children to cross the street and go towards a explosive device? Probably not right? That would probably make sense. And so it's strange that all of these things are taking place and no one's really saying much about it these days. Now, I did ask a couple of members of Congress if they had any idea who the suspect was, if they had a name, and they denied it. Their, their staff denied it. Um, so it's interesting. But ultimately, no one's really asking the core questions here. And why is the FBI taking people like yourself off of these cases and shifting them to, to other cases, which I would say are less significant than this. Cause I mean, literally Kamala Harris could have died if that device exploded and went off. And for some reason, the FBI doesn't want to resolve the issue. It sounds strange, right, Kyle? So when we were briefed on this, we got some identifiers about this individual, which I've said previously, we were briefed certain things that I know are probably not true based on doing some independent research on that subject. But we were told it was a, an E9 in the Air Force that had retired, held a security clearance, and worked in the DC on a security contract for the uh, for the federal government. Now, not all of those things are accurate, I but most of them were. And the second thing we were told is that those bombs were inert right up front. Now, what's really interesting and why I think this is, uh, has piqued my interest once again, 
is because I asked to do something that's a little bit unusual. You don't generally have surveillance people that are watching for a living, which is what I did, go and do interviews. But there's a couple of things. Number one, I was in the Air Force and I have a natural affinity towards people that are in the Air Force. I know how to speak mm -hmm. the language and I would be a, a natural person to go and do that. Secondly, there's a lot of socially awkward FBI agents and anybody who's been around them. They're not always the best at doing what we would call the bump which is knocking into somebody and, and uh, making a conversation out of nothing and giving them an opportunity to share some information, eliciting information. I actually am fairly good at that, having done outside sales. And more importantly, I was being recruited like for quite a while at the FBI field office in uh, DC to go work for the human squad, to go and actually be someone who recruited human sources. It's something that I love doing. I love talking to people and strangers, and now I do it on a podcast, which is weird. But at the time, it made perfect sense to be like, let me go bump this guy and find out. We were in an exigent circumstance with the possibility that somebody would drop more bombs in the Capitol. No one's ever told me why we didn't think that was going to be the case. And so from that time and at that moment, that was the mindset that we had. And then the other thing was the fact that we heard that these bombs were inert. And then immediately we heard the FBI going on TV talking about how they were potential, you know, explosive devices that could have gone off at any moment. That was not what we were briefed. And, and, the, and you have to ask, why would someone go and do that? Why would you go say something that's not true? And what are you going to gain from that? And then the other last thing was, is that Steve D'Antuano has recently uh, been exposed in a, uh, uh, an interview that he did with Thomas Massey and, and Jim Jordan and some others in this sort of mm -hmm. deposition style closed door interview. And they just put the transcripts out once again. And he, without any prompting, brings up this whole Metro card license plate Metro stop situation and says that it was probably handled, but I was too high up to know it. And by the way, he also tries to kind of impugn my honor by saying, like, I don't know what I'm talking about with the bomb situation and that I don't know what an inert device looks like. Amusingly for me and for him is that he has no idea what my bomb experience was, which I put out on Twitter, but I went through a demolitions course when I was in the Air Force. So I've got, you know, like 100 hours of, of blowing things up and building improvised explosives. And I've got probably more of a grasp on what devices look like than Steve D'Antuano, who used to be the former, uh, uh, he was the assistant director in charge of the Washington field office at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's always funny when they want to discredit what you're saying because you're being transparent with the American people and they don't like that. So they have to discredit the source. And we see that time and time again. So that's no surprise in that at all for me. Uh, Kyle, so here's my question for you. I, I know that when you wanted to go and interview the individual, the suspect, of uh, the person of interest, I should say, uh, they shut that down. Did you specifically who did you speak to with? Was it you personally? Did you speak with a supervisor or was it somebody on your team who was shut down? Was it, how did this all happen? I guess I should say. Yeah. So uh, in my role, I was the team leader for multiple mm -hmm. people, not like a prestigious thing either. I'm not trying to claim something. Just nobody else wanted to be the guy in charge because it involves more work. So uh, I'm the team leader and kind of the buck stops with you out in the field. Then you either talk to your supervisor or you talk to what's called the case agent. The case agent is the person that's running the, uh, the investigation from the field office. And as a field team, generally speaking, you're not actually considered to be working the case. You're actually just a resource that is on the case. Imagine um, SWAT operators that go and serve a warrant. They're not working the case. They're just serving the warrant for the case. And that's the way that my team was viewed. Um, we offered an opportunity. Like I said, we had enhanced capabilities that were beyond most FBI surveillance teams with both linguists and people that could do field interrogations that we have done a lot more aggressive work. We'd done what's called tactical surveillance uh, to interdiction. So that's following somebody and then finding the safest way to bring them into custody. And none of those things are like standard surveillance moves. So we kind of operated with an, an expanded suite of capabilities. So I just offered it. The offer was, hey, can I go bump this guy? Let's go find out what we know. And, and the odds are, 
based on what we knew about it at the time. And like I said, I don't think necessarily that the name we were given is in fact the suspect. That doesn't make as much sense based on what we know about that person. Mm -hmm. More likely, that person knew the suspect and might have gotten in over their heads, might have an opportunity to talk to us given the right prompting. And we could have made, and you know, that was all very, very time sensitive. So if they were scared to approach that person, I wasn't. And I was willing to do it. A lot of FBI agents are scared of their interviewing skills. They're not really willing to go knock on a door and try to make friends with a stranger, which is essentially what I did as a salesperson, whether it be picking up the phone or doing it in person. So that's kind of what I was offering. It was turned down by uh, people who represented the case squad. So it wasn't supervisory level. It was a low level request. It, it's not nearly as big a deal, I think, as, as Daily Wire was making note other than it doesn't look like they ever followed up on that. And I've confirmed with my friends who are still in the field office that they never actually did any more surveillance on that lead. And that indicates to me that they probably never actually talked to that person. Because if you talk to that person, the first thing you'd wanna do is put surveillance on them and see what they do right after you talk to them. That's standard stuff. And so the yeah. investigative 101 that Steve D'Antuano kept talking about in his interview with Thomas Massey, uh, it doesn't seem like they played that game. I don't, I don't know why. Incompetence or malfeasance, both are on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my follow-up question to you. And you just answered it. It was, it was, did they ever, after you left the bureau, did they ever go and confront this individual? And obviously you said it, they didn't, which is strange. If they were really looking to get to the core of this investigation, they would confront this individual. Uh, it's common sense, especially someone who has no expertise in this field. Uh, Kyle, a lot of Americans are outraged that this issue still has not been resolved. Is there anything that the American people could do to light a fire under members of Congress's butts or the FBI to kind of get the, the, the wheels rolling on this? Because, I mean, this is kind of outrageous that we don't have any answers still to this day. I don't know that we can directly impact it, but calls to Congress people, letting them know that this is an issue that is still near and dear to people's heart. Number one, yeah. apparently we almost had somebody drop a pipe bomb that could have killed the first black female vice president of the United States. That seems like a real big deal based on what the FBI has told us. And so I should see people on the political left that are agitating to find this, this horrible MAGA bomber person or whatever that they're going to try to claim. And then the other thing is this. It also looks like a narrative setup. I think Dan Bongino and I have talked about this both on his show, on my show, and then I've, we've kind of had some private conversations. I don't think that there's enough incompetence in the Secret Service because they tend to be very competent. And my experience with them was excellent. I don't think that they would have missed a plain view bomb sitting underneath a uh, you know a park bench that was within blast distance of multiple law enforcement officers and then also their protectee within the building. That doesn't sound like uh, US Secret Service type work. So that's a big problem. So then you wonder, well, why was the lackadaisical attitude involved? And then you start getting to the fact that it didn't make any sense that it was happening. They'd already had another pipe bomb that had been just, you know discovered not too uh, far earlier, just minutes earlier. You'd think you'd actually be on a heightened state of alert and instead, people treated it like it was humdrum, no big deal. They let kids walk in front of it. You would never want to do that. I mean, you should assume that all devices are legit until proven otherwise. And usually proving otherwise involves like, you know, an EOD technician or a bomb squad. So, you know, we need to let people know, specifically our representatives, like this is not done. And we're not done until the answer comes out. I think many Republicans would love to see January 6th just fade away. But Joe Biden said he's going to campaign on it. He kicked off his campaign with a J6 speech, even though if it was J5, because it was too too cold on J6. And he he started off this campaign saying, this is what I'm going to campaign on, that the awful, terrible, no good, very bad Republicans tried to do an insurrection. So it's on the table. And I think it's on House Republicans to do their due diligence and do some real investigative steps, which I have sent over everything I can to the members that are interested. And I hope they do something with it. 
Yeah, I hope they do. And I hope they give you a call because this is something that we keep, we have to keep discussing and we can't just let it go away. And I find it interesting. We all know the left loves the, the victimhood role. They love to, to paint themselves as victims. So it's quite strange that Kamala Harris really isn't stepping in front of this and saying how she almost died on January 6th. I mean, that's like the key part in all of this for me. Uh, so I think that's telling. No sense. But yeah, it makes no sense at all. Kyle Serafin, thank you for joining us. And guys, make sure you head over to Rumble right now and like his page, subscribe to it. It's a great show. I watch it all the time. I'm always texting you my thoughts. You do a great job with it. So thank you, Kyle. You guys, I've said it once before, so I'm going to say it again. And under the Biden regime, I've never been more worried about my financial future. I called my good friend, Dr. Kirk Elliott, because I wanted to come up with a plan put in place to make sure I was secure. And he came up with a plan for me to invest in silver. I'm rich. I've got my silver. I'm feeling so much better about my future. I highly recommend you give him a call and just chat with his team. 720-605-3900. And you could also head over to his website if you'd like to schedule an appointment. It's kirkelliotphd.com slash Brianna. Before I go, I always have to put on some deodorant. And I used to look all the time for the best deodorant. I couldn't find it on the shelves at all until our good friends over at Give a Derm came out with a brand new deodorant. This one's called Pits Me Off. It's incredible. Watch this, it's super easy. Ta-da, and that's all you need. And it dries super quick. Obviously, I'm wearing black. There's no white residue left over. It's a natural deodorant. It's made right here in the USA. There's none of those Chinese harmful chemicals also included it. It's giveaderm.com, and then use the promo code Brianna for 10% off. You gotta try it. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The my pillow guy. And you're looking good. Still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever. My pillow 2.0. When I invented my pillow, it had everything you'd ever want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. My pillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature regulating thread. My pillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of my pillow. Now's the time to go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code to save 50% on your MyPillow 2.0. Not only that, for a limited time, your entire order ships absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. MyPillow.com And if you enjoyed that segment, make sure you hit that like button. And if you want to see the news before it becomes the news, you have to subscribe to our channel. And well, if you have a liberal friend that you're looking to save, make sure you share this content with them.